This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Nick Foles, you and the Philadelphia Eagles have just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do next? I'm going to Disney World. Hey, what's up? Back at it here on Play by Playcast. My name is Joel Gadette. Thanks, as always, for the subscribe, the stream, the download, however you're listening to this podcast. It is the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters, hosted by, uh, you guessed it, a play-by-play broadcaster. It's a professional development podcast diving into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. Our guest today from the Detroit Pistons... He is the radio voice of the Detroit Pistons, Mark Champion. Um, We'll get to Mark here in a second. But as you are listening to this, my voice is coming to you from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. My first trip to Brazil. Cross another country off the list. I don't know how many that is. I don't know. America, Mexico, Canada, Israel, Brazil, Holland, England, France, Italy, Austria... I took a train through Belgium. That's 11. Did I say Italy? If I did, that's 12. If not, it's still 11. That's not a bad number. Passport, passport's getting some action. Um, CrossFit Games. Uh, doing the regional rounds. Today, tomorrow, and Sunday, if you're listening to this on time, uh, in Latin America. It's the first time Latin America has had its own dedicated regional uh, since 2014. And uh, when I got in touch with CrossFit, and I was like, hey, I want to do some broadcasting. Do you need people? And they were like, yeah, we might. Um, and I was like, this would be cool. And I saw the dates they sent me initially, um, for when they, they might have an opening, when they might have a a spot that they need somebody for. And I was like, oh, I live in Indiana. There, there's a regional this weekend in Nashville. I was like, all right, that makes sense. They're going to send me to Nashville. I can do that. That's cool. I'll hop in my car. Great. And then I got an email that somebody might send you out of the country. And I was like, whoa, Okay. Uh, this escalated quickly. <laughs> so, uh, first time I've had to apply for a work visa, like that was an interesting process, not that complicated, but it was still interesting. Uh, so we'll see how this goes. CrossFit regional. I'm working with a guy named Chase Ingram, who's done this for a bunch of years for CrossFit. Uh, he is a much better CrossFitter than me. He's much larger and stronger. Um, but, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully make a good pair. And, uh, and talk about some, some they're not workouts. Workouts what you do at home. Those are what you do on the day-to-day. Uh, well, we're going to broadcast some good events and some good tests of some of the fittest people on the planet. If you thought you were in shape, by the way, like just look at the pictures of some of these people and then look at the amount of weight that they throw around and they, they do handstand walks over obstacles. Like that's going to be one of the events that I broadcast this weekend is people walking on their hands up stairs and down a ramp. I can barely do that on my feet, let alone my hands. I, can do, I can't even do a handstand, let alone move on my hands. Uh, so it'll be interesting. Looking forward to it, looking forward to going to a different country, getting to explore Brazil. Uh, I have a day off in Brazil too. My flight doesn't leave until uh, 10 o'clock on Monday night to come back. I think I arrived back in, in, in the States at like noon, um, or back in Indianapolis at like noon on Tuesday. Uh, so I do miss Memorial Day, which kind of stinks because you get to grill out with friends and whatnot. But at the same time, I'm going to be in Brazil. Uh, so, you know, hopefully I'll get to, to see some cool places and do some cool things. Uh, the actual event, the CrossFit Games Regional, is at the Olympic basketball venue. So that's pretty cool. And then on top of that, I'm kind of excited for what the atmosphere is going to be like. If you know anything about CrossFit, uh, or if you don't, I'm about to tell you, uh, there's the CrossFit Open every year. So the CrossFit Games has a couple of stages. There's the Open, which literally anybody can compete in. Like, you could sign up to compete in the next CrossFit Open next year. Um, And then whoever's, like, really good in the Open goes to regionals, and then the top crust of regionals goes to the CrossFit Games in Madison, Wisconsin. 
Um, but the Open has five weeks, five workouts. Uh, there is one announced every Thursday night in a broadcast. Uh, CrossFit goes on location to various CrossFit gyms or boxes. They take two of the best CrossFitters in the world. They reveal the workout. Those two do the workout. They compete head-to-head. And then we have a couple of days as like Joe Schmo and our gyms at home to do the workout and submit our score hill line. Um, 18.1. So the first workout in 2018. The announcement for the Open was from Rio. And the place was bonkers. Like, it was insane to watch it on uh, on television or on the internet stream. Uh, so I'm really excited about how loud this place uh, could potentially be this weekend. It might be one of the coolest uh, venues that I get to broadcast in. We'll see. It's definitely going to be the largest audience I've ever broadcast to. And it'll be the first time I'll be able to actually look and see how many people have watched. Like, exactly. Like, YouTube and Facebook Watch and the CrossFit Games website will tell me. There's the little counter in the corner, like how many people are currently watching. Uh, so that that's a little intimidating, but it should be fun. All right, enough about me. Uh, we'll talk about it more in depth next week. Or when I get back and can tell you how things went or went wrong or went well. Uh, Mark Champion is our guest this week. He's the voice of the Detroit Pistons, uh, and he's had a really long, distinguished career that started where I am right now. Uh, I work at Ball State University. He is an alum of Ball State University. Overlapped with David Letterman for what it's worth uh, for a year. David Letterman was a senior. Mark uh, was a freshman. Uh, we'll talk about that very briefly. It's not that exciting. <laughs> uh, from when they were in college. Uh, he graduated Ball State. He, he went to Tampa. Uh, worked at WDAE in Tampa before it was the sports animal. I think it's the sports animal, right? Um, before it was the all sports station it's known as today. Um, became the voice of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And got into play-by-play without starting in play-by-play like he was at WDAE when it was again not sports like he wasn't he wasn't in Tampa to be a play-by-play guy right off the bat and um and there he was in the NFL and kind of the rest is history uh made his way up to Detroit where he became the longtime voice of the Detroit Lions and now the longtime voice of the Detroit Pistons uh really versatile guy has worked for Westwood One done the NCAA basketball tournament he's done some golf for them uh he's done the Olympics a handful of times uh we'll talk about ice skating broadcasting uh we'll talk about Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding in this podcast uh so Mark has been there and done that with a lot of different things and if you're saying to yourself well I wonder if I've ever heard Mark Champion uh the answer is yes Because Mark Champion is most known for something that you do not know he does. One of the most iconic sayings and commercials in American pop culture history. Mark Champion. Because at the end of every Super Bowl or other random big events, you will always see that commercial that says, Hey, Ben Roethlisberger, you just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do now? I'm going to Disney World. That voice is Mark Champion, which is incredible. Like... I never knew that, um, and it's a really cool story of how he got to to do that and what it's like to be that voice still here today. So on a podcast about play-by-play, where else could we start? Let's talk about Disney World. Mark Champion, uh, you're on Play-by-Play Cast. What are you going to do now? Here he is, talking about the iconic Disney World commercial. <laughs> well, that, uh, that, that that has a Ball State connection to it, as a matter of fact. Oh, well, okay. uh, yeah, it. Uh, a guy named Phil Lingell, who was a, uh, a student at uh, Ball State when I was there, I think he was maybe a grade or two ahead of me, uh, was the marketing, uh, one of the marketing guys at Disney. And I was in, in Tampa at the time doing the Buccaneers play-by-play, and, and he <clears throat> called over and, and asked me if I would be interested in voicing this particular commercial uh, that they were going to do tied in with football. And I said, well, you know, obviously, yes. And so that's, that's, that's how it began. And uh, uh, that was back in, gosh, I don't know what it was, 84, 85. I know Phil Sims was the first one we did. So whatever year that was. And um, so that's where it started. And uh, it's, uh, it's continued on. There was a two year lapse, uh, but they brought it back this past season and uh, and so it's uh, you know it's been a, a staple in the NFL. They used to do it for the NBA, and they they quit doing it. I think it was after Michael Jordan's final championship, and they've done it 
for a number of other things over the years. They did it for baseball a few times, uh, not World Series, but they did it uh, the year that Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were uh, battling in the home run race. They did, they've done it for Miss America. They've done it for American Idol. They've done, you know, so over the years they've done it for a number, but the, uh, the staple is the NFL. Is that kind of, it's going to be a weird question, but is it like one of the coolest feathers in your cap as a broadcaster, despite everything else you've done? <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, you know I tell people it's the most famous five seconds in my uh, in, in my career. Uh, and a lot of people didn't really know it was me, and I did, I never made a point of saying anything about it. Uh, I, I think it didn't become uh, uh, known until I moved up here to Michigan, and I can't remember how the question came up. Or anyway, anyway, I, I think it was an interview I did with with somebody. And, um, and so I just happened to mention it for some reason, I can't remember what it was, but, uh, uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. I mean, it's, it's in the American lexicon and, uh, uh, you know, I'm the guy who's, I've had people over the years ask me to record something for them on the, for their phone answering service. And, uh, so I've done a couple of those and, and I've had some local people want to do commercials with that same line and of course i can't do that yeah, i was gonna I mean, say that's, that's probably yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's uh, proprietary stuff so uh, uh but it's yeah it's fun it's fun to know that you're part of a of a uh, um you know kind of a, an icon of uh, commercials in this country you got to do it for weddings though like i feel like you can probably get like john and christine you just got married what are you gonna <laughs> exactly <do next? laughs> it's not a bad idea might uh, might branch off after my career is over. <laughs> um, let's talk about that, the uh, the career. Let's go back. Uh, let's go all the way to the beginning, if we can. Um, you gr- you were born in Muncie, Indiana. Uh, right. So I'm currently right. in your hometown as we record this. Uh, how did you get turned on to broadcasting? Uh, who and what was your first foray into, uh, I want to do this? Well, just as a, as a kid, I don't really have a, moment I, I was always a sports fan as a kid growing up and and used to listen to well, I'm a uh, lifelong Chicago Cubs fan so I grew up listening to Chicago Cubs baseball and uh, they had uh, uh, some announcers who I really uh, really liked and uh, listened to Jack Buck and Ernie Harwell and some of those uh, uh, Hall of Fame announcers over the years and and of course, the, the NFL games on on TV. So just you know, I, I guess that just sort of uh, interested me, and uh, and I started <clears throat> pursuing it without really knowing I was pursuing it. I would, as a kid, I would come home and and do play by play to these little tabletop baseball and football games they used to have, and and I would just go up in my room and and every day and and do play by play and play the game at the same time. And uh, there's a number of guys who have done that. Uh, I've, I've seen some interviews where guys have said that they did the very same thing. And of course, you know, your parents think you're odd uh, <laughs> if they're talking to yourself. But uh, other than that, no, I, I think that sort of laid the groundwork. And uh, and then I just pursued it. Uh, unfortunately, back in those days, uh, back in the uh, horse and buggy days, uh, the high schools didn't have any broadcasting programs. They <clears throat> A lot of them do now. But back then, uh, I went to uh, Muncie Southside, and uh, they did not have any uh, any broadcast programs at all. So I didn't really have any uh, training, professional training, until I got to Ball State in uh, in 1968, and and pursued that. Uh, I, I worked at um, the um, the Ball State station and spun the wax uh, for the uh, classical music and. Uh, uh, but also worked at a small little FM station over in Winchester. And uh, actually all four years, I was at Ball State. And it was sort of a, a satellite for Ball State students. A guy, uh, Dave Stout, who was uh, one of the professors there, who I became very good friends with. He's, he's passed away a number of years ago. But, but Dave and, uh, and uh, Darrell Weibel, uh, who was a, a professor there as well, kind of headed up the department. And uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, but uh, those two guys were really instrumental in, 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 in my career. Well, the student radio station wasn't even 
it wasn't even WCRD yet at, the, uh, at that point. Cause, no, Because no. D- Dave wasn't Dave yet, so it couldn't be Cardinal Radio Dave. Uh, well, no, it was uh, it was uh, it was WBST, which I I don't know if it's still there or not. To be honest with you, uh, but Dave Dave worked at the uh, uh, Dave Letterman worked at uh, one that was not really connected to the uh, department. Um, he 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 did his. It was kind of a uh, I don't know, not really a pirate station, but one you could only hear in the dorms. It was a dorm radio station, I think, if I remember correctly. So, um, and he was he was a senior when I was a freshman at Ball State, so I sort of knew him, but I didn't hang around with him much because you know he was he was far ahead of me. But you know, we'd see each other on a on a daily basis um, in and out of classes, but I didn't really. Of course, at that time, I mean, it was just you know, <laughs> he was just another guy. He was you just know, Dave. So. The, yeah. He was just Dave. What what was what was just Dave like back at that point? You know, like I say, <laughs> I, I I really uh, just passed him in the hallways. I mean, I ne- I never really even remember having any conversations with him. Uh, you know, I may have, but uh, um, you know, I hung out hung hung out with my guys, uh, you know, from my classes, and and uh, really uh, because they worked at a radio station. I mean, I'd go to classes from eight to two basically, and and then work four to midnight at a radio station over in Winchester and uh, did that five or six days a week. So, I mean, I, I didn't really hang around the campus much and uh, I spent most of my time, you know, honing my craft uh, at a radio station to, did everything there, including paint the building. Painted the building. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You, you back in those days. And I still think kids should do this. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of kids come out of, uh, of uh, broadcast schools or universities and, you know, they think they're ready for New York City and Los Angeles. And to me, I still think that uh, they should hone their craft and, you know, and uh, wherever it might be and in the Fort Wayne's and Hartford cities and, uh, you know, wherever the, the small little radio stations are, television stations and, and hone your craft, do everything. You know, and and not uh, pigeonhole yourself. Even if you're into sports, you know, do everything. I did news. I did uh, was a disc jockey. I did you know a little bit of everything. And I think it uh, I think it benefits you. Well, uh, if David Letterman was a senior when you were a freshman, um, that means Maury Manny's was also already very well entrenched, though, as the voice oh, of the Ball State Cardinals. Uh, for people that don't know Maury, uh, he was he was here for 56 years uh, as the voice of Ball State. Uh, so what was your exposure to Maury like uh, back when you were a student, and, and how much did you get to know him and or work with him? Well, I, I've, I've known uh, Maury, and then I got to know Maury as uh, my career advanced a little bit. But I, I grew up listening to him. Uh, on WLBC, uh, doing the, the high school basketball and football, he did it along with um, guy who actually owned WLBC, Don. Um, oh, I've forgotten his last name, but anyway, he was a very, very good basketball play-by-play guy, and Maury was kind of his sidekick, and then took over, and uh, uh, and you know did a terrific job with with the high schools and obviously with Ball State, so. I got to know him a little bit better in my postgraduate days, you know, after my career kind of started and, and, uh, just, you know, a great guy, a, a terrific man. And, uh, uh, my, my best buddy in, in college, a guy named John Peloza, uh, <clears throat> was actually friendlier with Maury than I was. And, and John was a terrific play by play guy, but he just ended up, uh, going into the military and ended up, uh, kind of uh, his career went a different direction, but he uh, at one time was, uh, had a chance for the Indiana Pacers job this many years ago, but uh, it just didn't work out and, and uh, he never did get into play by play, but uh, uh, so, but he knew Maury very well. And, and I got to know Maury a little bit later in his career. For people that don't, I, I feel like Maury's the kind of guy, like if Maury was the voice of Notre Dame for 56 years, everybody would know who he is. Um, right, but right. but is is not a name that is on a national scale some somebody that people recognize. Uh, correct. Tell me correct. tell me more about Maury and and kind of who he is to this area uh, and who he is to to a guy like you growing up in this area and then as you got to know him more once you got out of school um, the kind of giant that Maury is for for Indiana um, collegiate sports radio and high school radio. Well, I think every 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 city. 
as a guy who is, you know, I always tell uh, young broadcasters about this, that, you know, everybody wants to be in New York and wants to be on ESPN and wants, you know, this, this type of thing. And, and, and that's great. And if you can do that, fine, but you could also, you know, be a big fish in a small pond. And I, and I think that's, that's pretty much what Maury was. I mean, Maury was in the insurance industry, was very successful as an insurance salesman and, and sort of, you know, the broadcasting, I think at the time was more of a sideline for him than anything else, probably good for his business. And uh, Don Burton was the guy he, he worked for Don Burton. Uh, you know, you can Google him or, or look up him and in, in Muncie history. He was just a terrific play-by-play old school play-by-play guy. And I can still hear his voice uh, doing Muncie central basketball and, uh, um, and, and, you know, and Maury had a chance to learn from Don, who was the station owner, and and, uh, and just uh, continued on, just loved doing it. And, you know, you can, uh, you know, people got to know Maury uh, either personally or just because he was Maury. And in a town like Muncie, in an area like that, you, be, you can become famous. And, and I don't think that's why he did it. I don't think he had a, that, that type of... Uh, um, desire to, to, to be known that way. He just did it. He was an extremely nice man. And, and, uh, um, you know, those, there are those type of guys, uh, in, in a lot of the cities who have decided to stay and, and do the high school basketball. We had a, a kid I went to school with Steve McClure, uh, who is, is doing that same sort of thing down in the Indianapolis area. Steve works on the Indianapolis Colts stat uh, squad and uh, for for football games and but he also does a lot of high school broadcasts and uh, uh, you know he's he loves it uh, he has had no desire over the years to you know to 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 get onto a professional level or that sort of thing he just loves doing the high school stuff so there's nothing wrong with that. What wound up carrying you though? Uh, you wound up when you graduate from Ball State and I guess fill in the gaps for me here. What took you from Ball State to winding up? Uh, down in the Tampa Bay area? Well, I, I worked, uh, before I went down there, I worked for about three months, I think it was, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, at a, a radio station. I was actually hired as a disc jockey uh, out of when I graduated from Ball State. And for the life of me, I can't remember how I found uh, found out about that job. But, <laughs> but anyway, they hired me. And literally a week after they hired me, they changed the format. And That's went good. to uh, went to the old elevator music, the <laughs> beautiful music, and I was pressing buttons and doing IDs at the top of the hour, and uh, kind of stuck in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, and then a buddy of mine, who uh, I met in Fort Wayne, he was also a disc jockey at that station, uh, left uh, for a job down in Tampa. Uh, and he called me and said, hey, they've got a news opening down here. And, and of course, I was desperate to get out of Fort Wayne. And and uh, so I applied for that job and, and they hired me. And I initially started out doing news at uh, WDAE, which was the actually, I believe, the first radio station in Florida and a traditional old uh, middle of the road type music. And uh, it was a great radio station, great news department. And but there wasn't a whole lot of sports down there at that time. This is back in 1972. My, how things so changed. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't a whole lot going on down there at that time. You know, it was pretty much uh, Florida, Florida state and the university of Miami. That was about it. But so I just say I was there 17 years and just, uh, um, got to be, uh, you know, accepted down there well-known. And eventually I drifted over to sports when, uh, they, they brought in a North American soccer league team. Uh, and then the Tampa Bay Bucks came in in 1976. And uh, of course, spring training was down there a lot anyway. And uh, I got to know Ernie Harwell very well. And uh, and I stayed friends uh, when I moved up here. And so uh, that's sort of how I, I got into it. I, uh, I didn't really do any play by play until I was hired by the Buccaneers. I, I actually, in 1978, auditioned for the job. There was an opening, but I did, did not get it. And and what I did is I went to a preseason Buccaneer game, went up into a empty booth, and uh, had a buddy of mine help me out and and, and did the broad did a broadcast so I would have something to give them. And so that's that's how I ended up getting the job. I didn't get it in '78, but I got it the next year when they 
uh, fired the guy who was doing it in 1978. Hmm. And uh, so I got it in 1979 and I was there for 10 years um, doing the Buccaneers before uh, the Lions hired me in, in 1989 and, and was with them for 16 years. So, um, you know, when I moved up here, that's really when my <clears throat> career sort of blossomed, if you will, and had opportunities to do, uh, do, do a lot of things, uh, uh, with, uh, CBS radios would later become Westwood one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it did uh, three different winter Olympics, uh, did a lot of their Ryder cup. I did, a, you know, worked the masters when tiger won his first one in 1997. And so just, you know, opportunities presented themselves and was blessed to, to be, uh, asked to do a lot of those things. Uh, how do you get better at play-by-play and what's your process of uh, honing your craft when you find yourself thrust into the NFL and, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, and I guess in a lot of ways kind of learning on the fly that way. Well, yeah, you, and it's, it's a little unusual. I mean, my, my route to the uh, professional play-by-play was a little different than a lot of guys. I mean, a lot of guys will, do play-by-play uh, of high school games and then some college and then eventually, you know, work their way up. But, you know, mine was a little bit different and very unusual. I don't know how many guys have <laughs> just gone from basically gone from college to, uh, to the NFL, but uh, you just do You'd it. Be surprised just... in this podcast, we found a hit, I feel like. <laughs> well, well now I, I tell you what, I, I tell, I've taught a class up here at Oakland University uh, uh, off and on uh, for a number of years. And, and I tell them, I said, with today's, uh, there's so many platforms out there today that uh, your opportunities are probably much better than, than they would have been uh, 15, 20 years ago, where you had to go through the, you know, get you get your tape together and send it out to radio and TV stations. But um, yeah, you just, you just hone your craft. I mean, you just work on it. You do games and game after game, listen to your uh, broadcast. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, once in a while on uh, YouTube, I'll hear a, uh, a broadcast uh, that I've done years ago and I just sort of cringe. And uh, so you just keep working at it, get better and better and, and uh, understand, you know, what it is you need to do to be better at it. And, uh, uh, and, and, you know, never pass up an opportunity. I mean, I've done, all sorts of broadcast. I mean, you know, auto racing and, and, uh, golf on radio, believe it or not, um, equestrian events. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was the figure skating guy for CBS radio. And of course at the time didn't, I didn't know anything about figure skating. And uh, so you just have an opportunity to do a lot of things, uh, and, you know, don't pass them up because no, 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 no. I only want to do baseball. Uh, well, you know, Good luck with that. Uh, so it's uh, the more you can do, the better the better off you are. But I, I think ultimately you just have to continue to work at it. Just just keep doing it. What were the lessons of those early years with the Bucks, though? Like, well, I mean, even if you look back at it now, what what stands out at you about what you learned about this business, this craft, this art? Well, it's yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think in 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 my situation, I mean, I was um, I was well accepted, and and everybody seemed to like my work. My bosses liked my work, and and the team liked my work. And uh, I, I think one of the key things is you you develop relationships, uh, you network yourself, and and I had opportunities over the years, even down in Tampa. I had, I was finalists for the Chicago Bears job back in 1985 of course they ended up winning the Super Bowl but uh, I did I did not get that job uh, there were some men I had a, a call from the San Francisco 49ers they were interested in me and it just didn't you know it just didn't work out it was a long way to go at the time and uh, so you know just network yourself you you meet a lot of people uh, and it's the way it is now here with, with the Pistons. I've been, you know, heading into my 25th fifth year with the Pistons. And, and every time we go to an arena, <clears throat> I know a coach or a player or somebody, a uh, front office person, you know, you just sort of network yourself. And I think that's very valuable. I've gotten to know a lot of network people over the years and uh, I've worked with them. I do a thing with the National Football League, a broadcast boot camp and, where they bring in current and former players who want to get into broadcasting. And I'm one of the guys that, uh, that helps out with that. Um, um, Kenny Alberts there and James Brown, 
Um, I'm one of them. And there's a couple other guys that help out on this thing. And so uh, you get to meet a lot of people and, and get to know a lot of people. And, and it can be, you know, helpful down the road. Uh, let me ask you about that a little bit from the, I feel like networking is such a dirty word. Um, but from that standpoint, it, it, it's almost like a passive thing, if that makes sense. I mean, and is that really kind of the way to approach it is when you're in those situations, you just kind of meet people by osmosis and then, uh, you, you wind up having kind of a, a, a pretty nice catalog of, of connections that you make just because you're making oh, human connections. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't recall that I ever met somebody just because I was looking to get a job. You know that they, hey, I'm, I'm, I want to meet so and so so he can help me get this job. No, you. Uh, I don't think I ever did that. You know, you just meet them and, and get to be friends with them, and and somewhere down the road it it, it can help you. Um, uh, you just you you never know. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the phrase "never burn a bridge." Uh, and and that's that's true. I mean, you you in, in this business, uh, you're going to get fired or laid off, or they're going to change the format, or they're going to do you know whatever it is. It just is what it is. And and um, you know, I was let go by the Lions after 16 years, uh, uh, in a for financial reasons. And and you know, I could have gone crazy there, but didn't. Just you know, you just live with it and move on and. Same way, I had a situation down in Tampa where I had my salary cut in thir- uh, by a third and, uh, you know, kept my cool and just went about my business. And the guy who did that to me, uh, <clears throat> turns out he was one of three people who uh, were responsible for getting me the job at the Lions. Hmm. So so you you just never, you never know. I mean, you, you never burn a bridge, no matter, I mean, there are times you'd re- you really like to but you just don't do that. And, um, no, I, I think, I think networking is terrific. I mean, you'd like to say, well, I, I got this job because I'm great. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just <laughs> better than those other slogs that uh, applied for it, but that's not the case. It's a very subjective business. Uh, one program director can think you're, you're terrific. Another one doesn't like you at all. And it has nothing to do. You can't take it personally. You just can't. Uh, if if you do, then you probably ought to get into some other line of work. Uh, but you know, you'd like to say, "Well, I got these jobs because of of how great I am," and and talent does have something to do with it. But a lot of times, it is. You know, I know this guy. Uh, I have a good relationship with this guy. I mean, that's how it was with me. With with. Um, with the Lions, uh, the head coach was a, was a good friend of mine. Wayne Fonts was the head coach of the Detroit Lions. He was a good friend of mine. He was an assistant with the uh, uh, Buccaneers. And so that helped out. I had a good buddy of mine. He was a media relations director with the Lions. So, I mean, those those type of things uh, uh, are, are helpful. And, and while you could argue, well, that's not really fair. Well, you know, that's part of it. <laughs> it's just part of it. What did you learn from athlete boot camp? Like, what what's it like uh, from a play-by-play guy's perspective, going through the learning process with guys that are on the athlete side of it, trying to do uh, what they all think they can do, and and probably a handful of them can. Yeah, usually there are a few few guys who are really pretty good, and uh, there are a lot of guys working on ESPN, NFL Network, uh, who who I actually worked with uh, over the years, and I, I get kind of a kick out of it to see them. Uh, progress, and then there are other guys who get into it and and find out that whoa, this is just not not for me. And and uh, you know my my particular part of it was was play by play. We would actually sit in front of of a, uh, a big uh, flat screen TV and call a game. And you know I knew going in what what the uh, clips were and everything. So I had it wasn't about me. So you know they wanted to make sure I knew exactly what was going on and. In, in the games and what the play-by-play was. And uh, we wanted to make things as comfortable for the, for the players we possibly could. And they found out, actually, they only found out like the day before. And then they had to get ready for the game. And uh, so it was Dallas and Philadelphia or whatever it was. And so they would be given all the material. And, you know, part of it was, okay, let's see what kind of preparation they, they use. Let's see if they fill out their um, – spotting boards or if they just come in with nothing and you know and some guys would some guys would actually 
would actually spend a lot of time and actually fill out their spotting board. Some guys had no clue. <laughs> and and mo- most of them, the biggest thing they said about the play-by-play was they didn't realize how fast the game moves. Uh, you know, you're trying to say something and it's already into the next play. Uh, so that was, that was the thing that they, they just didn't realize everything that goes into a broadcast. So that was, that was, uh, I think the biggest thing you, you took out of it. And just because you've been a player or are a player in, in, in the NFL, doesn't mean you can broadcast it. So let me ask you some technical things about, uh, your side of it as well. And, and if I can jump to Detroit, uh, I asked this question when we had Tim Roy on a couple of weeks ago with Golden oh, State. Oh, Tim's a great guy. Yeah, um, one of my friends. Yeah, we, we talked about Steph Curry and what it's like to describe Steph Curry and do it justice when he does ridiculous things on a regular basis and you have to to, right. to make it sound like that. Uh, so when you're with Detroit and you're watching Barry Sanders, uh, what is the challenge of being the radio guy, broadcasting a guy with that kind of talent um, and making one run that is unbelievable sound unbelievable without being cliche of using words like unbelievable <laughs> well it's uh, yeah uh well it's very difficult I, I used to i told barry that one time i said you know you're, i said it's it's crazy trying to uh, uh do the play-by-play for you and and because i mean he, like you said he'll make a run and you go well that's the greatest run i've ever seen and then the very next handoff uh, you know it, he tops it so uh, you just have to, and then you're going, man, how do I, you know, express how this guy is? And, and so you, you just do it. I mean, you do it in the flow of the game. I don't, I don't think you have any preconceived plans of, well, today I'm going to uh, say this when Barry uh, breaks off a run, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, you just, you just go with, uh, you know, the crowd and, and, and how things are the, the juncture of the game that, that he, you know, some of his best runs were three yards. I mean, it was just, uh, that's just kind of the way he was. And, and yeah, very, very difficult. Uh, you know, NBA, uh, I think that the thing, uh, and I even hear this with, with some of my broadcast brothers is, is that, uh, you know, the, the other team also makes exciting plays. So <laughs> I, th- I think, uh, I think you have to be fair. And, uh, you know, if you're, if we're playing the Golden State Warriors and then, Steph Curry's draining threes all over the place. I mean, you, you gotta be excited about that. I mean, he's a great player and, and those are great plays. And, uh, uh, so I've, that's something I've, I've come to, to, to learn from when I first started out, I think I was very pro Buccaneer and, uh, maybe over the top. Uh, and you learn as you go along that, you know, not every run, not every pass is, greatest pass in the history of the sport and so you learn to kind of moderate that and and uh, and figure it all out and uh, uh and that's that's the case you know with the nba i mean there's so many great athletes i mean it's just it's just incredible uh, the talent we get to we get to see on a nightly basis and uh, uh you know if the other team makes a great play then then i'm going to be you know just as excited because it was a great play how do you find ways to describe new things? Um, is that, I mean, how much, well, do, you, how I much get, do you read? How much, like, how does all that factor into to what? Well, the out? big, you know, the big thing going on today uh, is how do you, how do you work the analytics side of sports uh, into your broadcast? Sure. And um, I think uh, to me, I think most of that stuff, while it's important to uh, coaches and general managers, I don't think it. I don't think listeners care a hill of beans about you know a person's WAR in baseball or or uh, you know whatever they are in basketball. Um, uh, you know, it's first and foremost, most important thing you can do as a play-by-play guy is give the score. Uh, because people are, t- especially on radio. I mean, more. I'm more of a radio guy. I've done TV, but <laughs> radio, radio. People are tuning in and out. They're in their car. They're in their yard. They're whatever. Hey, I wonder what the score is. You flip, uh, flip the radio on, and and <clears throat> there's nothing worse than to have the radio on for ten minutes and not hear what the score is. So uh, you know, that's that's one thing. To any play-by-play guy is there. You cannot give the score enough. Um, 
Ernie Harwell had a 30-second uh, egg timer that he would use. And when the sand drained out, if he hadn't given the time he would or the score, he would make sure that he did. And in basketball, I mean, I give it every uh, made basket or every change of possession. Somehow I get the score in there because uh, that's what people want to know. And then and then you paint the picture of whatever else is going on in the game. But but if they tune in and they can't <clears throat> figure out what the heck the score is, then uh, you know then you've lost them. So uh, I, I don't get caught up in, in much of the, the analytics. I just don't. I, I don't think that uh, I don't think our listeners care much for that. Um, and I think it doesn't mean a whole heck of, heck of a lot. Uh, it, it does. It does to the to the coaches and the general managers. They figure out their rosters. But as far as the broadcast goes, I just I'm 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 still kind of old school there. And I, I stick to, you know, the. Uh, traditional stuff uh, you know, over the years I've worked in a couple of things uh, you know a team is number one in the NBA in defensive rating but I don't go into the details of it I just sort of leave it at that because that indicates well they're pretty good on defense so but there's just too many numbers I mean baseball's ridiculous uh, it's just ridiculous uh, and you know football's kind of gotten that way and um, and and basketball um, you know, there's some, there's a, a couple of my, uh, broadcast brothers who are really into the analytics and you hear it in their broadcasts and, and, uh, while they're terrific at what they do, I, I just think as a listener, you're going, what does all of that mean? What does that got to do? You know? So I don't do much of it. It's very easy. I, I imagine, especially in the NBA with how fast it is to, to over describe to, um, that there's so much for listener to digest when they're listening, uh, to you, um, what's the, what's the right amount of picture to paint uh, in terms of being able to keep a good flow and, and keep it digestible for someone on the other end? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think that's, uh, <clears throat> I think that's up to the individual, uh, pretty much. I mean, I, I, you know, that's my analogy to, to students is that you're an artist, you've got your canvas there, a blank canvas, and it's kind of up to you to, to fill in. Like I say, I, I, I I'm a nuts and bolts guy. Uh, so to me, the score, the time, uh, you know, where's the, where's the ball, you know, it's at the free throw line. It's at the baseline. It's at the, you know, left side line, right side, you know, left, right. Um, and there are some guys who will say in football, for example, the ball's on the near side. Well, <clears throat> on radio, what, what does that mean? The near side and the far side, uh, you know, and, and, and I think in, in basketball, also in football, you can go, well, the, the um, Pistons are going left or right. Uh, then, okay, in your mind's eye, now you, you can see where the ball's going. Uh, you, you, you can follow them left or right. Uh, so those types of things help to paint the picture, and then you can fill in the other stuff. Uh, like you say, basketball, you got to be careful because it moves so fast. Uh, you know, the worst thing you can do in basketball is look down at your notes because, <laughs> because Been there. you look down, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, there's a made basket. And so you look down for whatever notes you're looking for. And then somebody steals the inbounds pass and you, and you missed it because you, your head was turned or, you know, you're looking down. So you, you gotta be very, very careful in basketball as to, you know, you gotta keep your, your uh, head on a swivel, so to speak. But, uh, you know, I don't think there is any, any answer to uh, how much uh, information there are guys who uh, are very, very over the top descriptive. And then there are guys who are at the other end. And uh, I suppose I'm somewhere in the middle, <clears throat> you know, I try to, I try to paint uh, the picture to where uh, when the fans turn on the radio, they know exactly what's going on and uh, where the ball, is. I think that's the most important thing. Where is the ball? Um, you know, and, and so that then they can follow in their mind's eye and, and, you know, what is the score and you can fill in with all the other stuff, you know, plus, you know, in my case, I work with an analyst, Rick Mahorn, former piston player. And, and so he's got to have some opportunities to get in there as well. Um, do you keep your own score? Cause that the, the... I, I do. Yeah. Okay. I keep, I, I keep my own running score. And, Cause that's uh, where I always get caught when I look down. Cause I'll like, I'll mark off a bucket. I'll look up and something just happened. And that's where I get beat by that. 
Yeah, no, I, I keep my own running score and uh, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm sort of, and I, I do, some guys do that. Some guys don't. Uh, some guys actually keep their own stats, which I don't do, but because in the NBA, we've got a stat monitor right in front of us. I do use a stat guy at home. I don't on the road only because of space, you know, I'd rather have the space and, and we have the stat monitor. And after every time out, they bring us uh, updated stats and, you know, and I keep on the running score and keep on the notes here and there. And so it's, and if you've done it as long as I have, you, you kind of recall things. Um, so, um, but yeah, I do. I definitely keep, I definitely keep the score. So um, I, you know, I, just, I think it, it helps you. I think it just puts things into your head. And, and, you know, when I prepare for a game, a lot of guys now use these um, uh, stat uh, services that actually prepare your, your spotting boards for you. Yeah. Well, well, I don't do that uh, at all. I do it all by hand and uh, you know, the, the colored pencils and, and because I, I, number one, I'm old school. I've done it that way, and I'm not going to change. And number number two, I mean, I use the internet a lot. I mean, I download stuff. I do a lot of stuff off the internet. But uh, when it comes to preparing my spotting boards, I do it myself because it puts it into your head. Uh, you, you're writing down all this information, and it's going to, you know, you're, you're going to lock it into your memory. And, and you're going to have much better recall than if you rely on some company to uh, provide your notes for you every time. So, um, so I'm still kind of kind of old school in that area. Uh, how do you get your analyst in? What's the what's the best way to do that in radio? Again, particularly when you're going so fast. Well, you know, it, uh, it depends on the sport. Uh, I mean, baseball. Good grief. I mean. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how it was interesting. I mean, growing up, that's all I wanted to be was a baseball announcer because I grew up listening to Jack Quinlan, who was the voice of the Cubs and Vince Lloyd, who took it over when, when Jack was, was actually killed in a car crash. And then uh, Ernie Harwell and, was, and Jack Buck and those guys. And I always wanted to be a baseball guy. And it just, the opportunity never came along. It, it came along in football and basketball, but uh, football there's, there's time because the way I would do it in football is, um, as long as I've got, uh, the mic back when they're breaking the huddle, um, that's kind of my, uh, I worked with a guy with, with the lions for all 16 years, a guy named Jim Brandstatter is actually still doing it. He's, he's actually the play by play guy now for Michigan football, but he's the analyst for, uh, lions football. And, uh, um, so I would always tell when we first worked together, I would always tell him, I said, you know, as soon as the play is over, I'm going to lay out. Uh, that's your opportunity. And whatever you've got, as long as I get it back before, uh, before they break the huddle. Uh, so I have time to set the offense. And uh, so that's generally my rule on, uh, and of course the no, no is uh, never uh, should the analyst uh, jump you on a play-by-play call, on a long pass for a touchdown or whatever it might be. And, and I do hear it occasionally where a guy will uh, uh, jump on top of the play-by-play guy, and it's just that is uh, – I, I, I would I, I would have a little chat with whoever did that and, and uh, tell them uh, they better never, ever do that again. And uh, uh, so, you know, those, those are things you work with when you if, – if you work with an analyst on a regular – basis you, you know you get a feel for him and with Mahorn basketball I mean he's very good about it he knows you know what the situation is so um it, you know he knows when there's uh, if they go into the free throw line well okay there's his opportunity there's some dead time coming out of timeouts you know after a basket is made you know a great uh, pick and roll play or whatever it is and you know he's got time he, he knows as soon as I give the score so uh uh, you know, Blake Griffin, uh, it's a 15 foot jump shot two nothing Detroit bang. He's got an opportunity there. Yeah. It was a great play. It was set up by Babbitt, Babbitt, Babbitt. And then he's, then he gets out, you know, so he's, he's good about that. So it just has to, you know, you, you get a flow going with, with the guy. I want to ask you about golf. Cause I know you've mentioned that you've done a, a handful of other sports and I think you even said figure skating back at the beginning. Um, but I, I know you were a part of the broadcast for the 97 masters. Is that correct? That, yes. Yeah. So uh, can you just take me back to 
uh, first off, what it's like to be part of a golf radio broadcast. We haven't talked about that a lot on this podcast. Uh, but also, that was Tiger's first major. So what it was like to be a part of that phenomenon. Yeah, his first uh, his first Masters. I think he won it by, what was it, 12 shots or something. That's some crazy number. I think he beat, uh, who was it? He beat Tom Kite? In 90, you have to look it up. I can't remember now. But, um, uh, well, golf's a little different. I mean, I had actually done a couple of uh, golf tournaments locally down in Tampa. We did, uh, the seniors had an event that we would, that we did. And there was one other one. So, so I had actually had some experience with it. Uh, and then in 1994, uh, because of the work I did in the, um, winter Olympics, uh, figure skating, that was the Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding, um, Olympics. And, uh, we, we just, uh, we hit a, a home run with that because, uh, radio, we were live TV was on tape delay because it was in Norway. And, and so we, we, I mean, CBS, uh, the CBS, I still have all the letters that the brass sent me from CBS, uh, you know, thanking us and for what we did. We had something like 18 million, uh, listeners and it was just nuts because of, uh, you know, because of the, the Tanya Harding episode. And, uh, um, so that was, as a result of that, they kind of, uh, they asked me to come down, uh, to the masters is kind of a gift more than anything else. And they're not really there to work, but I was able to stand around kind of watch how they did the broadcast. And uh, so that helped out in 97 when uh, uh, Frank Murphy, who was running CBS radio at the time and uh, as, a, as a dear friend of mine now. And, uh, but he hired me to, uh, to be part of their crew. And, and so they put me out on uh, you know, a number of different places with radio. You don't have quite a big, as big a staff. So I was out at Amen corner and then, I think I moved to 17 uh, green, which also allows you to cover 18 T. And uh, so, you know, I, I, they, they would come to me uh, on course and, you know, you would describe something uh, either live or on tape and, and uh, you know, it's, it's completely different from doing football <laughs> basketball. You're doing a lot, there's a lot of whispering going on. Uh, so it, it was, you know, and while I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm a goal, I follow golf and I, I, you know, when you're uh, something like that, it's you, you respect the guys who are doing it today because they know so much more than I did. I just sort of tried not to embarrass myself um, because, you know, I didn't have the, the course knowledge and, and uh, all of the uh, knowledge that, that you would normally have if you did that on a regular basis. But, um, you know, I was able to fool them. So no, but no, no, they appreciated the work I did, but, uh, it was, it was something different and, uh, you know, I enjoyed the heck out of it. It was, it was a lot of fun. I worked with, uh, Jim Gray, who, uh, is a well-known, uh, sideline guy and analyst. And uh, I can't remember who our lead anchor was to be honest with you. That's terrible. I can't remember <laughs> who it was, but, um, uh, anyway, it was a lot of fun. And then, then that led to some other work I, I did, uh, like I said, I did um, the uh, Ryder Cup here in Detroit at uh, Oakland Hills, and uh, that was Westwood One had at that time taken over uh, CBS, so it was Westwood, and and I did did the long form broadcast. So I was on for you know an hour or two hours with a couple of guys who were who were uh, golf pros, and and we had guys out on the course, and that was that was the Ryder Cup where the, the Europeans just stomped the heck out of, out of the Americans. Hal Sutton was the U.S. captain. And, uh, uh, but anyway, that was fun. I, I think I, I covered a PGA and a U.S. Open. So, um, but golf, yeah, golf's a whole different animal. You know, you, you've got to really, really have knowledge. If you're going to do it right, you got to really have knowledge of the course. You know, you got to know, you know, the greens here run back to front or they, uh, you know, there's, I mean, you see it all the time on the, on the telecast, uh, how good those guys are. And, uh, um, at, you know, they know every little thing about golf and that's, um, uh, that, that's the thing about that, that sport. I enjoyed it, but, uh, boy, there's a lot to know. It was Tom Kite, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, tell me about the, the Kerrigan Harding situation and being at the center of that. Um, yeah. cause I well, have to imagine you knew that was going to be a big deal going into it, calling that yeah. event and that you'd have so many yeah. ears on you. 
Well, the interesting thing about that was that it all started here in Detroit at the U.S. Uh, <laughs> championship. The U.S. Uh, uh, the national championships were here at, at Kobo Arena in Detroit, and that's where the, uh, the incident happened. That's where Kerrigan's goons, uh, you know, need, uh, or I mean, the Harding's goons need Kerrigan, and uh, that's where it all began. So that that made it sort of, it uh, gave me a little bit of extra stuff, you know, because I was right here. I wasn't covering it, but uh, but I was here and reading about it and seeing it on TV and everything. So. Uh, uh, but yeah, that 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 was a it was a circus. I mean, uh, <laughs> it was the ultimate in gang journalism. I mean, uh, it it just it, it was over the top. I mean, people uh, following them around. And uh, one thing that was nice about it is that you know we were a rights holder. CBS Radio is a rights holder, so we're going to get access that you know Joe Blow from Dubuque is not going to get. And uh, so that made my job a little bit easier. Plus, I was working with uh, a guy named Paul Wiley, who was a silver medalist uh, in men's figure skating. And he was very close friends with Nancy Kerrigan. So uh, that helped out. And then, of course, they give you, you know, we had all the, the, the jump sheets. So we knew exactly, you know, what jump was coming. And if it didn't happen, then, you know, that obviously there was a mistake or, you know, whatever might, what it might have been. And uh, uh, but but the whole uh, atmosphere around there was just it was a soap opera. it was just a, a the ultimate in reality shows you know you you couldn't miss any practice because you you know we're hoping maybe they'd run into each other out on the practice ice, you know <laughs> get, like into Kardashians. Fist, get into a fist fight you know and and of course the irony of it all was that uh, neither one of them won the gold medal and uh, you know nancy i think won the silver and uh, Oksana Bayul, a Russian skater, won the won the gold. She was really, really good. And, and uh, Tanya, I think, finished like eighth or some crazy thing. You know, she had the she had the the uh, uh, the boot uh, incident. You know, where she couldn't get her boot tied correctly and all this junk. And so it was, uh, but it it was fun. I mean, I when I did the the uh, the play by play, if you will, of I mean, it, I just stuck to. I mean, even though they gave us tapes and information on what a triple flip is versus a triple sow cow versus a triple, you know, there's, there's these, it, it all, it all uh, relates to where they take off and where they land. It, that's basically what it is. It's, it's, it's how, and of course, trying to describe that on radio. So I didn't even attempt, I just left all that stuff up to Paul Wiley and, you know, he would say, well, she's, uh, you know, she doubled the, the triple here. You know, I, I would just sort of set everything up and, uh, well, you know, here are the standings. And, and uh, well, it's a beautiful dress that Nancy has on, you know. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and just let Paul do all the uh, all the technical stuff. And, and I just sort of described the atmosphere and uh, especially when, when Tanya was out there. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, what do you do now? Like, how do you pass the time in the off season? Uh, I get on my wife's nerves. There you go. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Uh, uh, no, this this time of year, uh, not not a whole lot. I mean, I've got a few, uh, you know, commercial things I do, but uh, um, this time of year, uh, just sort of, um, uh, you know, I, I always keep track of what's going on. I mean, I want I watch just about every game in the in the playoffs and. And, you know, I, I download all of the postseason notes from every team. So I'll have all that information hitting in the next year. And, uh, and the rosters, I keep track of the rosters. Uh, once free agency starts and rosters start changing, I like to keep track of who's, who's where. And uh, so, you know, when the season begins, you don't, you, you know, you're not lost as to, okay, where's, uh, where's Gerald Green now? That's <laughs> so, um, so I stay, you know, I stay in touch and, uh, you know, with the Pistons, we got, you know, the draft is coming up, although now we don't have the first round pick, but, you know, you've got the draft and the free agency and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of year round, but I, I don't, uh, overall, I don't do a great deal this time of year. Gotcha. If people want to follow you, uh, how do they, how do they find you on Twitter or, or how do they? catch info Let's on see, what, what is my my twitter what is it we, what we call that uh, twitter handle is that twitter, <laughs> uh, i don't even know what they call it. it's uh uh at uh, nba mark 
That's a good get. That's that's a. That, I, and uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook as well. I I I, I can't remember what the heck my Facebook thing. I is. I figured some NBA fan named Mark would have scooped that one up a lot faster than. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. ahead of the curve. Some, yeah, somehow, somehow I got it. And I'm on, <laughs> I'm on Facebook as as well. I I don't do a lot on Facebook. I, I mainly I'm on Facebook to keep track of uh, my daughters and they're posting pictures and family and all that kind of thing. But uh, Twitter, I do, I do quite a bit of uh, little uh, commentaries on on Twitter and and uh, uh, you know it's it's uh, you know I got to kind of watch it a little bit because I do I work for the team. I'm sure. not. You know, I don't, I'm not a radio station employee. I work for the team. So we, you know, we're not allowed to, uh, um, you know, be overly critical about officiating, even though we'd like to. <laughs> but uh, so we, and, and I can't really, you know, I'm not, not allowed to comment on, uh, I've had a couple radio stations want to do stuff with me on the, on the coaching situation. Of course, I can't do that either. And uh uh, because, you know, I'm just, uh, again, I work for the team, so uh, I can't, there's nothing really I can say. Uh, so, um, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty much how you can uh, find me. All right. That's Mark Champion joining us here on play by play cast. Uh, the music's already playing because I'm out of time because I've got to go uh, broadcast people lifting weight uh, today. Triple three and Linda. Those are the two things that I'm broadcasting today. We'll see how it goes. Uh, triple three for those at home. 49 minutes to row 3,000, do 300 double unders. So jump rope and the rope has to go underneath twice. Uh, and then run on an assault runner to self-powered treadmill three miles. You got 49 minutes to do it. Uh, we shall see how I broadcast uh, that. Fingers crossed. We'll talk to you about it next week. Back here on PXP Cast. We're out. We're out.